So this uh, evening, I would like to talk about non-grasping, because I think, in a way, when we talk about meditation and daily life and daily living, I think, in a way, one of the causes of tension and suffering we experience, and which the meditation could help us a little, is in this grasping. I think we have, um, being human, we have a tendency, I mean, this is part of our makeup. As I said before, we are in contact. You know, being human is being in contact. We are in contact with whatever forms us, we are in contact, we encounter whatever is outside us. And in a way, when it flows, when in a way that contact, that relationship, that life, within ourselves, within our, in the outside, when there is a flow, when there is movement, when there is openness, there is warmth, there is engagement. But unfortunately, we seem to find time when we are stuck, we cannot feel stopped, we feel limited, we feel enclosed. And that's what I'd like to talk about today. How can the meditation help us to, in a way, have this more flowing quality of being in a way with the flow of life instead of in a way again and again damning that flow and then through that creating tension, suffering and kind of a stuckness. And I think it seems to me that we can recognize that for whatever reason, and I think it has a lot to do with uh, biological survival mechanism, we have a sticky quality. There is a sticky quality to our experience. I think often is that we are covered by Velcro. You know, and kind of things kind of come, and then, and how do they stay stuck? You know, we hear something, we feel something, we encounter something, it's kind of woof, you know, and it's kind of like, mm. and even if you don't want it, and that's what's interesting, even if you have the awareness of it, it's still stuck. I mean, I think this is kind of interesting uh, thing, experience. And very likely, part of that experience come is the fact that we are a biological organism and that there is this biology of survival. It will basically, this organism is alive and it wants to keep living. I mean, this is basic stuff. And I think this is fine. I think, I think we must analyze this kind of uh, basic survival mechanism which is very much part of our being. I mean, and I think that's why we are generally rather self-centered, because of that. But in a way, how can we come to a middle way with that biological mechanism so that it does not, in a way, necessarily engender that kind of, kind of grasping, holding, sticking? How can we come to kind of a kind of a modest vivendi with the fact that we are the center of our universe and everybody is the center of their own universe, but still, how can there be some movement between all these centers and the world out there so that then it doesn't feel so separate to start? And so what I would like to do first is in a way to demonstrate a little, and this is a little my party trick, some of you have seen it before, 
And because it, to me, it seems to be the best way to, in a way, demonstrate grasping and what happens when we grasp. So, let's say this cake was made of diamonds or it was the greatest truth in the universe and it's mine, right? It's mine. So because it's mine, it's dear to me, it's essential, it's important. So I hold on to it. I grasp at it. I can't move. Nobody is going to take it away from me. This is mine. And then what happens? Two things happen. The first thing, if I do this for any length of time, I get a cramp in the arm. And this is an important point about grasping is that it creates tension. And I would say generally, if there is tension, I would say there is grasping. Then, even more so, I mean, that's one of the aspects of grasping, that it creates tension. Another aspect of grasping is that if I do this, what I can do? I confuse my hand. I'm stuck. I'm limited to this. My, the function of my hand is limited to holding this stick. And so generally we go, okay, we hold this, you know, we grasp at this, then we grasp at that, then I grasp with my feet, you know. <laughs> you start, I mean, I don't mean you grasp at one thing always, but you know, you can grasp at four things at the same time, even more stuff. So in a way, when you grasp, that mechanism, actually, which is to me is even more dangerous, is that you limit yourself to what you grasp at. You reduce yourself to what you grasp at. And you limit very much your freedom and your possibility of movement and very much of creativity. And then what I think we have to be careful about is often we equate non-grasping and spiritual life with, okay, I am not grasping, I renounce everything. So two things happen often. You renounce the thing, so you get rid of everything. You give your money to your greatest guru, and then you regret it later. So that's another story. <laughs> or you cut the hand, that whole non-grasping, let's get rid of the hand. You know, then there won't be any grasping. I think this is kind of, sometimes that's what happens in kind of spiritual circle, when you kind of cultivate this uh, kind of amazing detachment, which, again, I don't think is the aim of the exercise. Because for me, meditation, what meditation is all about, is of course about degrasping, de-sticking. But that doesn't mean we get rid of the hand or we get rid of the spirit. What it means is that very gently we open our hand. But we, in a way, for me, meditation is creating, developing that movement. So that from being like this, we slowly are like that, then like this, possibly some of the time we are like this. The thing can move, the thing can be moved, I can use my hand. There is no tension and there is freedom. So in a way, this is what I think happens with grasping. That's why to me, it's an essential part of meditation and daily living. Not that we cannot spend our time, ah, am I grasping? I don't think you should be worried about, am I grasping? I think you generally are. So, <laughs> I think, you know, you know, I think what to me is interesting is, what am I grasping at? And how am I grasping? I think this is a much more interesting question. And, in a way, kind of going through the process 
of grasping. I think there is a mechanism with grasping, which I think is interesting to kind of look how it works. Because generally, there is a first movement. We come into contact with something, and then generally we identify with it. I am hearing this, this is mine, this is happening to me. So very, in the context, very quickly there is this identification with me, mine, the self. And then, through the grasping, the identification, then there is that limitation, that reduction to that thing. Because we cannot generally only hold one thing at one time. This is the thing, when you stop the flow, then there is no movement. So you can really stuck with it. You start with that thing that you grasp at. And what that does is that you identify, you solidify, then you limit yourself to the thing itself. And then, even worse, you magnify it. So it's interesting because you start by something happens, it becomes your problem, and then very quickly the problem overwhelms you. And you know, at the beginning you have the problem, then it adds you. Mm. It's very interesting how often you feel overwhelmed by circumstances, situations, feelings. And generally it's because this mechanism, this process happens of identification, solidification, then limitation, then magnification. You know, I think what meditation can help us to do is to introduce a little kind of space at each of these points when you identify, when you limit, when you kind of, uh, kind of solidify hopefully then you can learn not to magnify and to me this is in a way the gift of meditation of the spaciousness I talked about is to then start to see that actually whatever you're coming to contact in that moment is not you cannot reduce your experience to that. You can never reduce yourself to just a feeling, to just a problem, to just an encounter, to whatever it is. Because often that's what we do. So look, I mean, if you reduce yourself to just something that happened to you, the fact, I don't know, I don't know, somebody recently was telling me their problem on, on their birthday. They kind of locked onto birthday. This and this must happen and this and this did not happen. Mm. And so in a way the whole of that person's life became reduced to that one day and even reduced to that one idea what must happen on my birthday. And so in a way, I mean, and often we do this. See, that's what I think is very essential in looking at grasping is to see that as soon as we grasp, we reduce ourselves and it becomes unbearable because we become this tiny point and we say, I am that. And this is, I think, is very, in a way, painful. And then we kind of get overwhelmed by it. So, in a way, non-grasping doesn't mean that there is nothing there, doesn't mean that there is not caring. Because often that's the idea. Often that the, the kind of non-grasping is kind of 
took that non-attachment. And I think it's a little more dangerous word to use because then people think, oh, and you know, stars, and you cannot care for anybody, and then all these things. But for me, non-grasping is just that movement. So the fact that you not grasp, I would suggest actually you then can really care. There is much more possibility for caring, for warmth, for feeling, for engagement. And it's when we grasp that actually there is less likelihood of the warm feeling kind of engagement. And in a way, non-grasping is you encounter fully, because you're still in contact. I mean, this is a thing we always in contact. This is the way we function. But that when we come in contact, we encounter the thing. We engage with whatever is there. But without that stickiness, without that holding. So I think basically what I'm talking about is in a way trying to live our daily lives without that stickiness. And often the image that is given is a mirror, a reflection in a mirror. If you have a mirror, and the mirror in a way reflects totally what is in front of it. And so if in front of it, there is an amazing, beautiful angel. The mirror doesn't say, stay, stay, stay. I really am enjoying you being there and reflecting you. I mean, when the angel is there, it's done. The angel is there, then <laughs> it's gone, it's gone. And when the monster-dripping, ugly monster appears, the mirror doesn't say, no, 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 I want you, I don't want you. You know, you're going to kind of, you know, mess me up. It just reflects what is there. So in a way, the non-grasping doesn't mean that there is nothing there, there is no manifestation, there is no encounter. There is a very kind of total, I would say, very whole encounter. But then when whatever passes, then that passes, and then something else comes up, a little as with a mirror, so it's this kind of that metaphor. And also I think when we talk of this uh, non-grasping, I think we have be very careful in the spiritual path that we don't become idealistic. So that then you leave this weekend, I am not going to grasp anymore. But I think this is very hard. I think working on grasping is in a way a life task. You know, this is something we're going to work on, I think, till we die. So in a way what we're talking about here is not getting rid of it totally, but in a way dissolving it. Kind of, how can I dissolve it? especially when it's very painful. What can I do about it? How can I, in a way, engage with it? How can I work on releasing that kind of, you know, grab, hold I seem to have on reality, on my experience? And so what I'd like to do now is to kind of have a little inventory. I mean, this is not to make you feel bad. I mean, once I gave this story and somebody kind of was very upset and cried, she said, I've got all of those. Well, I think this is very fairly human. So I want to do a little inventory, you know, in the time I have of, you know, where do we grasp? How do we grasp? Just so that, you know, we kind of, you know, put a kind of spotlight on which place, some of the interesting place where we grasp at things. And so the first one is very kind of close to us, and I would say is kind of grasping and cultivating non-grasping at conditions that forms our sense of self. I know this is a long title, but in a way I think this is what happens a lot in our daily life, in our daily living. 
that actually, who are we? What are we? I mean, if you reflect on it, actually we are this flow of condition. We are not just one thing. We are not, you know, we are kind of whatever makes us, you know, our gene, our kind of biology, our parents, our society, what we eat, what we breathe, what we do, what we encounter. So, I mean, in a way, what forms our sense of self at any given moment is, in a way, the condition that forms us and with which we are in contact with at that moment. I would say, I mean, this is what I would set up as a kind of a sense of self, as a kind of looking at it as a wider experience, what is going on here, all these conditions meeting each other, this kind of flowing, and I say a flow of conditions, because it's changing. To me, this is amazing to look at us, you know? One moment you look at yourself in the morning in the mirror and you look really, you know, and you kind of think, oh gosh, this is me, I look terrible. And then, you know, two days later, you have to kind of, you know, brush yourself out, you're going out, and suddenly you look at yourself and say, hmm, I don't look too bad. <laughs> it's very interesting. You know, one minute you look this way, one minute you look very different, although you have barely, very much a sense of physical kind of condition, more or less. And it's the same with feeling. One minute you might feel really kind of, you know, on top of the world, and possibly a day later or even an hour later feel really bad, really terrible. So that's what I mean by this flow of condition, that because of the changing nature of reality, that's why the condition are flowing. So generally we are experiencing ourselves, if we kind of, you know, reflect on it meditatively, there is this flow of condition going on. And then, actually, what happens is that at any given moment, very often we grasp at one of the conditions that forms us, and then we say, this is me. And as soon as you do this, in a way, the whole, this whole, in a way, magical show that we are in this moment becomes reduced to this one little thing. And so you feel very constricted, you know? Because, I mean, how can you fit yourself in that? And part of these conditions, I mean, just to look at some of them, for example, we might, in a way, grasp at kind of a physical characteristic or condition. And what was very interesting for me to look at the slide, I mentioned the slide the other day, the little Romanian refugee girl, and what was interesting to look at the slide over 15 years of my life was until about, until I kind of meditated, I really had this, which was about 22, I had this idea, very strong idea, really, about physically by myself, that I was fat. And the reason was because my sister used to call me potato. <laughs> And then I realized, and then after I had meditated a bit, I looked at myself one day in the mirror and I said, well, I'm a bit on the skinny side. <laughs> I'm ordinary fetish. And so that image totally went. But looking at the slide, I realized why it happened. Because I kind of could not figure out why did they call me potato? Well, you know, I'm not that fat. <laughs> and then I realized that they were so thin. In the, all these slides, my two sisters asked 
stick-like. I mean, they really stick-like till they're about 20. It's amazing. And so, next to them, I look positive. <laughs> <laughs> kind of, you know. And then I could see how that kind of could... And so that's what, what is interesting sometimes is that we grasp at something that is not there. This is interesting because we grasp at physical characteristics which are there. I mean, one thing I could grasp at, which is true, is that I am small. I mean, you know. But then I don't grasp at it because I am the tallest in the family. <laughs> so I only kind of think, oh yes, I am small when I need to reach something. And then I know most people are taller than me, so I can have somebody else to get it from me. So in a way, it's kind of all a bit relative. But it's interesting to see what, what is it that we grasp at in terms of our physical appearance. And then we kind of, you know, get stuck on. Another thing we can grasp at is a mental characteristic. It's interesting, you know, sometimes we suddenly have this idea, this kind of, you know, I am stupid, I am intelligent, I am whatever it is that kind of I associate with kind of mental faculty. And it's interesting because when you grasp at a, a kind of, you know, a mental characteristic, you know what you're saying, what are you saying then is that I am always like this, which is not true. I think, you know, sometimes we are stupid. And sometimes we're not. So that we do things and see, how could I ever do this? But the next minute, somebody can come with this very intricate problem and you're able to kind of, you know, solve them out or help them out. So I think, you know, we might do things. We kind of, you know, show certain kind of possibly even tendencies. But I think we have to be careful of kind of, in a way, restricting ourselves by grasping at it, saying, this is me. This is who I am. And in the same way, even more so, I think we do this with emotional characteristics. I think how often does someone say, I am a sad person, I am an angry person, I am a depressed person, I am a joyful person. I mean, the thing with being a joyful person is that if suddenly you stand, it's kind of like, well, I'm not supposed to be like this, you know? And what is interesting is that if you are, let's say, a depressed person, if you are happy, it's kind of, you don't consider it. I'm depressed, generally, you know. So when you're happy, you don't kind of, hey, I am quite happy now. Everything is fine. So when we kind of stick to any of these things, because for whatever reason at that moment is a little more obvious or a little more evident, I think. In a way, what meditative awareness is saying that, yes, at that moment, that condition has a reason. Happiness, joy, depression, sadness, anger, or whatever. But I am not totally like that. I cannot reduce myself to that. This occurs upon conditions, and this will disappear upon other conditions. Because there is also another thing we can grasp at is for ourselves is quality. We might have a quality, kind of, kind of, let's say, I am a good person, or you can think, I am a bad person. And what is interesting with that is that then, if you think of yourself, I am a good person, and you grasp the quality of being good, actually you become quite blind to when actually you might not be such a nice person. I think it's kind of something to look at. And if you think, I am a bad person, then again, you kind of again push aside all the time where you could be 
quite a nice person. And re- uh, recently when we were in South Africa, I really saw an example of that because we were, I mean, we visited a prison and we kind of had an encounter with some prisoners. And uh, we kind of were asked to give a talk, uh, my husband and myself, and my husband was already to, uh, to prison, so that was yeah, kind of, it was a bit better than me, because I mean, I, I talked about loving kindness to a kind of this hardened criminal. <laughs> I'm not sure it was necessarily the kind of, you know, the best way to approach them. But anyway, that's what I did. And uh, at the end of it, there was a little discussion. And the discussion was kind of getting really bogged down into kind of, you know, kind of whether the Christian and he was asking about this and he was getting bogged down. And then the guy who organized a meditation group in that prison said, wait a minute, this is not about this, that is not, this is about awareness, this is about cultivating this and that, this is about freedom, this is about space and this is... And he gave for the next 10 minutes one of the best ever speech I have ever heard about meditation. And this was a hard, I mean, this was a convict, this was a guy who was a murderer, and he was in for, he still had about 10 years or 15 years to do, and he was a huge guy, compared to me, he was kind of three times my size. <laughs> and so because of, I think, also the physical size, I mean, you know, that has engendered various things, and kind of, he, had, he had been fairly aggressive and fairly, then he had killed somebody. And to me, it was kind of amazing to kind of have this guy, which generally you would assume he's a criminal, he's a murderer, he's a bad guy. And actually, <coughs> through the meditation, actually his goodness really coming out. And, <coughs> and when I discussed with him afterward, he was saying that he was seeing the next uh, 10 years of his life in jail as a training, as a training to, in a way, kind of not grasp anymore at this kind of, you know, aggressivity, violence that was really not concerned, but you kind of really bring spaciousness and kind of really allow this potential, this goodness to come out. And for me it was quite quite moving to see that, to see how in a way we can grasp at certain qualities and that will stop us from other things coming up. And it really kind of, you know, it broken through that. Then, to look a little outside ourselves, all the things we can grasp at, for example, is at people. And what would it mean to not grasp at people? This is because this is often people who do meditation come to me with this, you know, if I do meditation, can I still love somebody? You know, can I be in a relationship? And I would say yes. I would say you would be in a better relationship, actually, if you kind of uh, do meditation. So partners, children, friends, family. And to me, non-grasping actually is nearly the key to really being able to care, to love, to appreciate somebody else. Because what is interesting with love, I mean, when we're in relationship, if we have a partner, if we have a child, if we have a friend, if we have a good relationship with our family, then there is this love in feeling. There is this kind of love, this care, this appreciation for the other person. And then what might happen is because it's so pleasant that then we become sticky. You know, like with your partner. You love your partner and it's such fun to be with them. And then, boom, you kind of... Then you see, if you stick to them, 
when you want to be with them all the time. I mean, I have this adorable niece most of the time. She's adorable. And then, you know, when I'm with her, I really love it. I mean, it's fun, you know. But then, you know, she has the freedom to kind of go down to my grandmother and back up to me. And, you know, she spent time with me and then, hmm, she'll go to see grandma. And then she'll come up to see me again. And because I enjoy her, so I was forcing her to be with me all the time. Then she would feel limited. Mm. And I think often that's what happens. That if we grasp as a person we love, we do two things. We limit them, we limit them by kind of really, kind of in a way, tightening around them. And then another thing happens is that then we don't make our old friends. And that's what is interesting. You see, you grasp at one thing, then the, all the possibilities are not there. And I think when we are in relationship, it's very important to see that often there is this ideal of the romantic fusion. You know, if I love somebody, whoop, we're going to be confused. Kind of, you know, we're going to know each other's feelings, each other's thoughts, everything. Gosh, God forbid. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> to me, in a way, I think it's much more healthy to kind of, you know, bringing meditative awareness to what a relationship is and to see that actually it's more like parallel lines. And with parallel lines, you have what is in between the parallel lines, which actually is what is between the two people, which is very real. And then outside, there is your own life, there is your own kind of development. And I think it is very important to see that, to be careful in this, as soon as we grasp, then actually we will limit ourselves and limit the other person. And then another thing in relationship with APA is that you actually grasp, and that's what is interesting at grasping, when you grasp at something that does not exist. But you grasp at what should be. You grasp at how the person should be. So how your kind of husband or wife or partner should be, how your child should be, how your friends should be, how your family should be. And I had this, um, you know, a wonderful, interesting experience, you could say, a few years back, when I went to France specifically to kind of stop war in my family. Because my mother could not be there, my grandma and my nephew were going to be together for two weeks. And we thought, this is not going to work. So I was going to kind of have one week, I had one week where I could kind of come in, kind of in between. And so by the time I arrived, the kind of, uh, kind of uh, war had broken up. Kind of, you know, it was very tight, ambiance. And I didn't think it would serve much purpose to talk to grandma. I mean, she's 90, you know, about kind of the situation. But I went to my nephew, who was kind of about 25, 30. And I kind of said to him, you know, I said, you know, what's the problem? She said, well, she did this, and she should be like this, and she should be like this, and she should do this, and she should do that. And I said to him, you know, she is 85, 90. Do you think she's going to change now? And suddenly, ah, he suddenly realized not. I mean, it was, I mean, it was a beautiful moment for me that he could see that. You know, that, yeah, she's not going to change. And after that, he was so different with her, because he did not grasp anymore at how she should be. And he just accepted her and worked with it as it was. And I asked him later, when he kind of went to my mother, who was kind of shouting at her mother, 
He said, oh, but you know, he's not going to plan. <laughs> it was kind of quite a lovely moment. You know, looking, you know, at also how we grow, at how people should be. And then they're not going to be like this. So in a way, you have kind of a double bind, you know. You're kind of going against what they are, and then you're putting on top something else which is not there. Another thing we can do is grasp at this. This is an interesting one, kind of thing. And for me, I mean, I was a nurse for 10 years in Korea. And so I just had two pairs of shoes, one summer, one winter, two pairs of clothes, because that I could have all the time, and that was that. So very simple. And it was all provided by the temple. So when we went to the capital of Korea, Seoul, I would pass, you know, even in the fancy street with lots of kind of shop windows. I would just, you know, just color shades. It was not kind of interesting to me. So I would just look at them. And then I stopped being a nun and I became an ordinary person again. And I moved to Totnet. No, that Totnet, you know, is kind of metropolis with lots of very <laughs> attractive things. But what was very interesting, I was going out the street and kind of suddenly feeling this kind of like, this twofold movement of me having this mm, and then the object glowing <laughs> mm. and it was interesting to see this crazy mm. I wonder that they were generally being in England in the winter warm shoes was quite predominant in the kind of whatever it was practice to at the time but to me that was interesting you know the kind of this mm. and over time I mean I needed a few things and then over time it was like I need to buy another pair of shoes. I need to buy another thing. Because the glow was still there. The attraction <laughs> was still there. And I think with things, we really have to look at that. Because I think these societies, actually, I mean, especially recently, I think in the last few years, we told you must consume. If you don't consume, the economy is going to go down. We do. I mean, this is a message we get everywhere, in America, in England, you must consume, don't say it, consume. Then, you know, kind of everything, the economy is going to work. So it seems to me nowadays, the kind of the, the, kind of the world is not, I think, therefore I am, I think it's, I have, I buy, therefore I am. I mean, this is where the society is really going towards. And I think within that, it really feeds this kind of, mm, I want that. And I think within that, with the meditative awareness, which for me is also somewhat an ecological awareness, I think the question we can ask there is, what is it I need? What is it I want? And I think this is two very different things. Because, you know, the Buddha was very clear that we needed the four requisites. We needed food, we needed shelter, we needed clothing, we needed medicine. So there is some basic need. But then, what kind of we do on top, which then there is very much is grasping. If you have any special interest, it's very interesting. I can see my husband in front of camera shop. Kind of there is this woo kind of movement which he really would not in front of clothes shop. Like nothing happened there. You know, if you see why does the grasping go in terms of seeing? And then another one which this is I think is very interesting, is uh, grasping at views, grasping at ideas. Because what is, what is a view, what is an idea, is just a little firing in the brain, 
I mean, if you kind of factually, what is it? Ideas. We have ideas. We have views. What? What are they? So, kind of, if you look at it, kind of, you know, in this way, you can see just a little ping in the brain, kind of these ideas. But then you have a little discussion with a friend, and at the beginning it's kind of all very nice, and then very quickly it's kind of because mm. what do we do? We do, this is an idea, this is produced by me, this is my idea, then this is produced by me, this is a good idea, <laughs> it's a good idea, it's the best idea, it's the right idea, it's the only idea, everybody must think it. <laughs> but it's very interesting, when you have an argument with somebody, that's generally what you say. And often what we do is by grasping, at this idea, by identifying with it. What happens is that when the person says, this is a bad idea, or I don't agree with you, then you feel that they negate you. And I think this is one of the greatest problems with grasping at ideas, is that because we identify with it, then actually we can't stand somebody not having our, you know, because they, we feel they negate us. <coughs> well, on the contrary, if we kind of have an idea, which could be a good one, why not? You know, everybody can have good and bad ideas. And if we do not grasp that it, then I think the engagement with the other person, I think, would be much more fruitful. And then you really can have a dialogue, because you can listen to the idea, and you can say, well, this does not really fit me, this does not really suit me. Oh, yes, this is not bad, this is, I could learn something from it. But there will not be around it this chart of this is me. And to me, this is about views and ideas. This is, in a way, the danger of it, that we kind of identify so much with it. So, you know, you kind of look at that. Another thing, which this, I think, is very interesting because generally it's not mentioned. Generally, this, in a spiritual circle, we don't talk about this because it's kind of, why should I? But I think, to me, the last thing which will go, and I personally believe that even meditation, even awakening, won't do anything to this grasping, is national and cultural grasping. Mm-hmm. You see, and as long as you live in England, you're not going to be aware of it. This is the thing, this is what is very interesting, this kind of national and cultural grasping. But what was very interesting for me living in Korea for 10 years, and being really at the bottom of the ladder, because I was kind of young and kind of just starting there. So hierarchically speaking, quite, kind of, you know, just had to fit in with their uh, kind of uh, the way things were. I was struck again and again how what I thought was the way to do things was actually the French way to do things. <laughs> and how even once physically I could not do what they were saying was the best way, which of course was the Korean way. Physically, I could not do it. Because, and it was just to ring clothes. They have a different way of ringing clothes there. Of course, they think it's much more kind of efficient. And so they were kind of telling me to do it their way. And I was like, kind of like struggling. Because physically, <laughs> my body complex had not been kind of trained to do it that way. And so to me, this is something which we have to be careful in terms of, like even Buddhism and meditation, how so often you have teachers who will say, you know, 
the Theravada way, the Vipassana way, the Zen way, the Tibetan way, this is the only way. And I think when they do this, they actually, what I would call, cult, uh, grasping at the culture. They're grasping at this kind of, what they have done becomes so familiar to them that they think this is the only one there is. Of course, for them it is, because it's a good one for them. But it does not necessarily mean that it is the best one for everybody. And I think this, and often there is this idea in the meditation, in the spiritual path, that when we awaken, then we'll transcend everything. And I would suggest the one thing we're not going to transcend is cultural, national characteristics. And I have seen it again and again with my teachers, that they're amazingly calm, amazingly wise, amazingly compassionate, but culturally wise, they were Tibetan, Korean, Vietnamese, Zen, whatever. I mean, you know, there was this kind of thing. So to me, that's what is interesting to look at is how we do grasp as a cultural and national, and how it kind of becomes so ingrained in our kind of structure. That in a way there is an identification which is totally unconscious. And so in a way, when somebody, in a way, questions that culture, and I have never felt so French when I lived in England. It's very interesting, you know. I was kind of saying, gosh, these English people, they'll take you this. <laughs> <laughs> we don't do this this way. It's very interesting how it's really, when you are in your country, it does not, you know, it's, it's not apparent. So I think this is an interesting place to look. And then the last one I have time with is one which really happens a lot and uh, with a kind of uh, work to look at is grasping at work. This is interesting. I mean, what is a word? A word is just a few waves. A few waves. Boop. You know, I say a word. Boop. It's gone. As soon as I said it, it's gone. I mean, I could, of course, choose the longest word in, in the dictionary, but still, I say that word and then it's gone. And to me, we are creating a lot of suffering by actually attaching, grasping at words. And it's interesting that not only do we grasp at it on the moment, but then we keep them. It's like, you know, somebody said something generally painful to us, or even something, you know, if somebody said to you, oh, you're so wonderful. Or you have somebody coming saying, you're the most terrible person in the world. Oh, I am and so either you say, I'm terrible, this is terrible, you say, that's not true. And then you start to have a huge argument. But I bet you that in five years' time, you will still remember that this person said, I was wonderful. And that one said, I was terrible. And wasn't it terrible that they said, I was terrible? <laughs> it is. In a way, to, I mean, the kind of grasping is kind of noticing. That by grasping, we're actually tensing around something. And like we're tensing around the world, and not only don't, do, do we grasp on it at the moment, we then keep it. And then we kind of, you know, scratch it, kind of scratch the grasping. And in a way, through the meditative awareness, to kind of somebody say something to us, I am wonderful, hmm, thank you. That's nice, that's nice. Why not? I could be wonderful in this moment. 
you know. And if somebody said to you, you're terrible, then okay. I mean, do they have a point or not? I mean, once I had this experience in Yaya House, one of the managers, uh, for whatever reason, I, can, I was a support person and he was supposed to see me. And for whatever reason, he decided he was not going to see me. And I kind of said, well, I have to see you. In those days, I have to see you. Texting that once every two weeks or something. And then for the next 30 minutes, he, I was standing there in the kitchen and he kind of, you know, went on, I would say, verbally aggressing me. Which I thought was very fascinating because generally people don't do this to me, you know, I'm not used to that. And it was interesting because here was this guy, you know, saying all kinds of things. And he was very manipulative, he was very cleverly done. I was quite impressed, you know, I go, ah, wow, you know, people do this. Because I generally can't, don't witness it that much. So it was quite interesting. <laughs> but at the same time, I did not buy it, I did not grasp at it so well. I mean, I could not relate to it whatsoever. What you were saying, you know, did not correspond to my experience. So I just let him do his thing. I mean, you know, that's what he wanted to do at the moment. I observed it. And then, you know, and then I saw him two hours later, and he had this dispute story. But what was interesting to me at that moment is through the meditative awareness. I mean, if it had been, you know, many years ago, same thing would have happened. I would have got very upset very defensive, very... But no, there was, I was very calm, I was just, ah, this is what is happening. And I just, in a way, saw it, I just were, kind of, you know, with certain meaning for that person, but not seeing that I had to grasp that. And I think, in a way, that's what the meditative awareness is about, the meditation. It's not to say that you're not with the thing when it is there, but, in a way, there is some creativity around it. There is some spaciousness around it, so you kind of, in a way, hold it very gently. You can be with it in a different way. So it's not that you don't engage with things. Non-grasping is not not engaging. You engage, you are present, you are fully with it. But you don't, in a way, identify, you don't solidify. So in a way, using meditation in daily living, looking at it, when there is tension, what is it that I'm grasping at? How am I grasping? So not judging the grasping, because we do it naturally, this is part of the course. But you know, engaging with the process, engaging with the mechanism, recognizing that we're reducing ourselves in that moment. And how can we in a way bring some expansion with whatever is occurring? How can we see that we are more than any one thing? That actually our condition are so multi-perspectival. I think meditation can also help us to see that. So, this is... Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.